Um, the only way we could have gotten to where we are now is by having a policy across the school that if you try something new and it works, great. But if it doesn't, as long as you've learned something from it, it was worth doing. And trying something and failing is encouraged at our school because if you were too afraid to try, you might never have succeeded. So um, if you always keep the students at the heart of what you do, you can't go too far wrong. You're listening to the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log. Stories from inspiring educators, leaders and influencers who are challenging the status quo. Today's episode is sponsored by My Study Series, an online learning platform supporting Kiwi teachers and students through NCEA. With the ability to track student progress and quiz results, data provided by My Study Series ensures teachers remain informed of how well their students are performing. Check it out now at mystudyseries.co.nz. Good everyone and welcome to episode 72 of the Augmented Learning Podcast and Video Log, where we share stories from outstanding leaders, educators and influencers who are challenging the status quo. I'm your host, Carl Condoliffe, and I'm joined again by my co-host, Celia Fleck. Celia, uh, put you on the spot. What is the biggest challenge teachers face when they're trying to implement an integrated curriculum within a school? Oh, biggest challenge. I think the biggest challenge that I hear over and over is is time. Time to... Um, Time to plan, time to kind of understand other people's curriculum areas. Yeah, I think that's a big one. That's something you don't think about, understanding other people's curriculum areas, because it's not just a matter of uh, trusting that what a teacher from another learning area is telling you about their learning area. You actually have to have a good grasp of um, the content that they need to cover and their requirements, don't you? Yeah, I think so. I think... If it's really going to be um, where the learning is enhancing each other's learning area, then you need to take on a certain amount of learning of that learning area so that you can really see those connections and it becomes then really genuine. Mm, mm. This week we had Georgette Lampert on the on the podcast, and this was a little bit cheeky of me because she's she's a science teacher from the school I'm moving to next year. And it was a real good opportunity for me to just unpack a lot of the things that they do there, because to be honest, um, I, I struggle to understand and comprehend a lot of the, uh, I guess, progressive things that they're doing. So it was a really good opportunity for me to sit down with her and, and see a perspective that another teacher would have of the things that they do. Uh, what stood out for you in, in the episode? Yeah, I just find it super interesting listening to um, the way different schools are structured and different things they're trying. I think what stood out for me was the the culture of the school where it's okay to try things and fail and acknowledge the learnings that have come from that and um, then try things again and, and ultimately there'll be some success along the way. So I really liked that. I liked the, um, yeah, I liked the different things they were trying with their timetable, with their um, ACO learning times and with their, what did they call it? Hubbing. 
yes kind of a different word to get my head around but i liked the concept yeah yeah i all of that and i i guess i've probably been uh more familiar with a lot of that stuff as as in my role as a cross school lead teacher and then going through the interview process and having trying to grasp a lot of that uh, but for me what what really stood out was a, the a real simple thing and i commented during the episode um and it, it was george's respect for people's time and we talked about those meetings and having uh you know going from a, a staff professional learning meeting um, after school or from 2.30 to 3.30 and then straight into a, uh, a hub meeting for another hour and how, you know, she made sure that there was agenda, she made sure that there was time to connect with one another and see what's on top. There was food, there was, um, you know, they stuck to the, the time limit that was set for that meeting so that people could come into that meeting, be prepared to contribute and take um take more from those sessions and I think that's just simple things like that I think often we forget to do we forget to respect people's time and allow them to contribute really well so that's something that really stood out for me so let's jump into episode 72 with George Lampert from Wellington East Girls George welcome to the podcast Thank you so much, Carl. Hey, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about your teaching background and experience and a few tidbits about your school and the students you teach? Yeah, sure thing. Well, I'm um, Kira Koto. Um, my name is Georgette Lampert. Um, I'm originally from the UK, um, but I'm now proudly a New Zealand citizen. Um, I've lived in New Zealand since 2005 and I've been teaching for about 12 years. Um, I'm currently teaching at Wellington East Girls College, which is um, located in Mount Victoria in Wellington. Um, it's a multicultural skills school from years th uh, 9 to 13. Um, there are about a thousand students there who attend and I teach some of them science and biology. Um, I'm also a Kahuiako within school uh, hub leader for the Kōwhai hub um, and our school values are Aroha, Rangateratanga and Whanungatanga. Very nice. When did you get your New Zealand citizenship? Uh, that was actually last year. Um, it did take me a while because I have been here, as I said, since 2005. So um, I just really haven't had the time to do it till last year. But um, my sister and I went together um, to Lower Hutt Town Hall and um, yeah, we, we got it done, which was great. So what's the process? What do you have to like? Do you have to do some sort of test or something to prove you're, you're Kiwi enough or what? <laughs> I did think that that might be a thing, but no, it's nothing like that at all. In fact, I was pretty nervous, but it really wasn't that scary. So um, all I had to do was fill in some paperwork, of course, pay some money. Uh, then I had to turn up to the town hall for an evening of sort of um, singing and wayata and um, a little bit of reading some names out. And I had to say a declaration. Um, and then pretty much all I had to do was walk up on stage and shake the mayor's hand to get my um, documentation. Uh, but of course, before all that, you do have to live in the country for three years. Um, and hold a permanent job. So I've been doing that for quite a while now. So <laughs> that wasn't too bad. No, no, that's cool. And if you were, so let's say you're watching some sport with some a New Zealand team versus a, <laughs> a British team, who are you supporting? Um, I actually would support, well, I don't, firstly, I don't really watch sports. So sorry about that. But um, I do actually own an All Blacks jersey and I've owned that since I was about 15 years old um, because um, my uncle, uh, who is Kiwi, 
um, has always supported the All Blacks. And because I wasn't really into sport, I was like, who shall I support? So I always supported um, the All Blacks. So yeah, New Zealand, all the way. So, so going back, <laughs> going back a wee bit, do you, do you think uh, New Zealand was always a place that you sort of considered you might uh, end up? Well, um, it's, it's funny you should ask that. I've actually been to New Zealand before. So um, it's a bit of a story, but my family and I, we emigrated over here when I was seven to start with. Um, we were intending to stay here permanently. Uh, we lived up in uh, Mamaku near Rotorua, um, but unfortunately there was a bit of a blip in the economy back then and my parents couldn't find a job. So um, we had to go back to England. And so um, we were quite heartbroken about that really. Uh, but being only seven, you know, it didn't really affect me so much. Um, mm. But then later on in our lives, we came to a point where my whole family said we weren't really happy where we were. And um, we wanted a change. And I suggested, oh, why don't we go back to New Zealand? Because we really, we really loved it there. And my parents thought it was going to be impossible because they were too old. They didn't earn enough money. Um, you know, things like that. We haven't been back for so many years. And um, but I said, well, let's apply anyway and see. Can we afford to apply? And um, my parents were like, yeah, we can give it a go and see if we can get in. Um, when we applied, um, we were supposed to. My brother and I were over 18 and I was a fully qualified teacher already. And we were supposed to apply separately to our family because we were over 18. Um, but um, because we were a really close family and we didn't want to be um, we didn't want anyone to be rejected individually. We wrote to um, to the applications people and said we would like to apply as a family. Please consider us as a, a whole unit. Uh, if you don't want us, reject us all. And if you want all of us or one of us, just have the lot of us. Um, so <laughs> we luckily all came over together. And um, yeah, so my parents live in Paraparam and my sisters moved down to Dunedin to do an animation job. My brother's a really successful um, heavy diesel a mechanic and he works in Tawa so yeah oh, so we're all here it's a cool little story cool little story yeah pretty cool. all right well getting back to Wellington East and probably this is kind of a little bit selfish of me having you on the podcast because <laughs> as you're aware and and a lot of my audience are aware that I'm starting um, at your school next year as a deputy principal and as I'm trying to get my head around a lot of the amazing things that your school does, I'm still um, quite confused over a lot of things. So okay. <laughs> uh, this gives me an opportunity to learn a little bit more about the school and get more of a feel. And the more discussions I have in the space, um, the more comfortable I feel heading into 2021. So okay. you've got you've got quite a unique timetable at East, and and that timetable allows uh, the staff and students to do some things a little bit differently. Can you explain what that timetable looks like and and how it works for for you and your team? Sure thing. But first of all, congratulations on your new position. We're very excited to have you. Welcome to East. So, Thank you very much. <laughs> so um, yeah, um, our timetable is a little unique. Um, we now have 90 minute sessions three times a day uh, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, so four days a week. Um, the longer learning times um, have allowed us to complete learning activities more easily within a lesson and um, allows for more thinking and processing time for students. Um, so, for example, in science, um, we could set up and run an experiment and then discuss the results in the same lesson. And, and that never used to happen before. We used to have to do this over several lessons. So um, hopefully that's um, providing more sort of understanding and links for the students. Mm. 
Um, on Friday, we have six lots of 50 minute sessions. So Friday is a bit different. Um, and we aim for these, um, the, sorry, the aim for this was basically so that um, the work from the week could be reviewed and consolidated. Uh, recently, we've been examining or experimenting with Flexi Fridays. So Flexi Fridays uh, doesn't happen every Friday, but it's where students still attend their timetable classes, uh, but the learning is student directed. So the, the students choose what it is they want to finish off or do basically what they want to learn. Um, so on Mondays, Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have 35 minute aqua sessions. Uh, which is like a form class time. Um, we only we do basically learning activities during these times. So they're not subject based, they're just other learning activities, um, which I can talk about a bit later on maybe. Um, we use the Thursday Aqua session though to help them plan for their Flexi Friday if we're having it that week. Um, students finish early on Wednesdays at 2.20. And so from 2.30 to about 3.30, we have a board approved whole school PL time as well for staff. So that's kind of roughly our timetable. <laughs> okay. that, that, no, yeah, it does. And I've only just I've only just gotten my head around this part of 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 things because I found um, a diagram of your timetable on your website. Yeah. So that, that was kind of handy. A um, couple of things here. Board approved professional le professional learning for an hour on Wednesday. Can you give me an example of uh, what what a session what a general session might look like there for you, for for the staff? Yeah. Sure. So at the moment, we're currently learning Te Reo. Um, so being British, I don't have a huge amount of Te Reo in my background. Uh, so so um, I'm sort of a beginner level. Um, but we are basically sort of divided into different groups by your own personal choice. Um, and different activities are provided at the moment for you to um, develop your Te Reo. So this Wednesday just gone, um, we actually learned about uh, different um, action words basically i'm not an english teacher so here we go different action words and um yeah we basically learned how to put them in a sentence so i can't actually remember right now off the top of my head but <laughs> but we had little cards we played some games we tried to remember some words by doing the actions that kind of stuff um, but there were more advanced people who went out of the room and uh, learned different tenses for the same kind of sentence and structure i guess so so that was really cool and um, most of us were in the beginners group um but we also sometimes have sort of um, students as well who are experts in Tereo who come in and support us as well, which is awesome. So that's what we've been currently working on mostly this year, which is really great. Do you get a feel in those professional learning sessions that um, staff are kind of empowered to be leaders within that space and, and come in and support any learning that might be happening? Yeah, um, we have had um, the wiru, if you like, the challenge, um, to step up and do um, our pepiha in front of everybody or to take part in the opening karakia um, and other parts of the activities like that too. Um, some of us are a bit shy, but some of us have done that, which is great. Um, and also we have um, sort of, um, we have a, a particular person, Kath Haynes, she's fantastic. Um, she has in her own time um, been studying Tereo um, and has, is now stepping up as a leader in our school to teach that alongside um, our Māori specialists, our Māori teachers, which is cool. So, yeah, um, I feel like there are opportunities for people to step up as mm. well. Mm. And your Flexi Fridays sound fascinating. And I, I, what I thought you were heading down to describe in that Flexi Friday was more of a, a 
uh, kind of like a passion project approach where students yeah. can kind of work on their their own thing and you've you've kind of described that but then at the same time they're still going to their timetable classes aren't they yeah so how does that so, help what if, let's say a kid wants to so basically it's time for them to do anything they want within those the work that they're doing in any learning area basically yeah yeah so um at the moment this basically came about from lockdown so um yeah basically because um we realized students could be quite self-directed um and which was great we wanted to keep that going that skill um we wanted to recognize that skill and keep it being used and so to encourage that we did occasionally do a, a flexi friday it hasn't been going recently but we're hoping to pick it up again next year after we've had some more um, negotiation about what Flexi Friday means, um, but we've used it as a time, I guess, for students to catch up on work after lockdown, um, or to continue work that they haven't finished from different classes, or to um, ask for some extension work on, you know, certain subjects that they enjoy. Mm. Um, but I would like to see in the future that Flexi Friday perhaps being a passion project. That's what I would like to see happen. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I think. I think that's real powerful to, and, and you know, these curriculum changes that are coming up may um, oh. contribute to that as well. And, and you know, with more time to, uh, with, with bigger achievement standards and more time to do them, you'd hope to, you'd like to think that there are these opportunities to actually unpack something completely different that may still be related, but is not necessarily something that's going to be assessed and just have this good opportunity for curious learners to go off and do something that they're interested about. That's what I thought Flexi Friday might have been. And no doubt what, what's happening now is really, really beneficial. You know, a little bit of agency for students to go, hey, I'm, I'm struggling in this area. I want to commit, you know, two to three hours today just on this as opposed to being bound by that 50 minute timetable. So. Uh, I think that's pretty cool. And you also talked about Uncle Time, which, you know, it seems to be it seems to be a real popular approach across the country where schools are reimagining what form time might be and, and leveraging this well-being in a more holistic approach during pastoral. Um, can you give us maybe a, a more in-depth kind of look and feel for what that is at East? Sure thing. Um, yeah, so basically the students and the relationships we cultivate with them are at the heart of our ACL program. Um, that's really key to our success. Um, we begin sort of in year nine with two teachers having 15 ACL students each in the same ACL room. So it's basically two teachers, 30 kids together as one whole class, one whole teaching class, but 15 of them are one ACL class and the other 15 are another ACL class. So ACL classes and teaching classes are slightly different things. So the two teachers that are working with these students, um, they do only the attendance and paperwork for their 15 students. So there should be less, um, I guess, paperwork or things like that to do. Um, so usually both ACL teachers stay with their class in year 10 and then one of them volunteers to go on to the senior school with the, with the year 11s onwards. Um, however, there is a slight shuffle in ACL class sizes in year 11 onwards because um, we have to balance the number of um, ACL teachers and the number of students that we have across the school. So our ACL class size goes up to 26 and we have that one teacher in charge of the 26 then. But the aim of all of this is to ensure um, continued care from a well-known and trusted ACL teacher for as many of the same students as possible throughout their time at school. 
Um, so the pastoral and um, the teacher's pastoral knowledge of the students should be really deep um, and they should understand their learning needs. Um, and also the extra time together allows for stronger relationships to be developed between the students and the teachers. Um, in these sessions, we do many different activities um, as well. Um, so not just, we don't do subject stuff, we do cross-curricular or extracurricular stuff. Um, so we do, of course, take the role, track attendance, all that sort of stuff, but we also share experiences. Um, we do something called circle time, which is sort of like sitting in a group um, and we have a question and we go around and answer with a talking stick kind of, type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, we also sometimes take part in across ACOR competitions, so between different class classes, if you like. Um, so we have a little competition such as Taskmaster, um, end of year stage challenge performances, and also sporting events. Um, we teach each other skills as well. So um, a couple of years ago, my class learned sign language because we had a deaf student in our class. Um, also, my class was extremely multicultural. So we had a how to cook cultural food um, time. And also in lockdown, we did things like um, origami as well, which is fun, and play games. Um, <laughs> but we also um, participate in school-led activities as well, not just fun stuff. So things like voting for class reps, preparing for subject selection, um, exploring career pathways, loads of different things. Mm. Um, we basically try to round out the students' education, fill in the gaps with experiences and support that might not be necessarily supplied by subject teachers or subjects. Mm. And so how would would you say it's structured or there's there's a lot of freedom for an uncle teacher to go, hey, this, I'm passionate about this and this is holistic yeah. and is going to support you as a learner. Let's have a look at this for two weeks. I think it's pretty flexible. We do have assemblies that are scheduled in for the term, so they're not flexible because it's run by senior management or somebody like the dean. So we, we can't negotiate those really, but... We do have three ACL times a week, so one of them might be an assembly and the other two will not be. So um, that's when we can have our flexi time. Now, sometimes the dean has a certain activity or plan that they want to um, let all the different ACL classes have a go at. So, for example, Taskmaster was one my dean did, which was really fun, um, just like the TV show. She gives us a crazy task and we have like a certain amount of time to film what we do and send it in. And we get points, so we might win prizes. It's quite fun. Uh, <laughs> so sometimes we have things like that, um, which try and bring the classes together or get them to sort of talk to each other. Especially, that's really important in year nine because they're quite shy and can just stay in their classes. Um, but also other times we have done passion projects too. So um, one, this was quite a while ago now. Um, I had a class that went down to... Um, it was used to be called the Special um, Needs Unit. It's now called Tiaka. Um, so this was about five, six years ago. And we noticed the students down there didn't have great furniture and we just had brand new furniture. And my students were feeling a little bit guilty. Um, and we, we realized we couldn't buy them new furniture. So we worked out that we could uh, perhaps sew cushions, make cushions and take them down as presents. And we did that over about a term. And then we had a party down in, um, in the snow building. Um, and yeah, and just got to know the students in the special needs unit, which was really special and, you know, helped to build relationships between those students as well, which is really cool. But that was quite a while ago, that one. <laughs> it's, it's all really cool things. And, you know, we, at my current school, we've been looking at what uh, our form time looks like and trying to reimagine what be. 
but you know just hearing you describe some of the things um that you can do and have done in your uncle time is just that's really exciting and i think as a student like i think back to my days as a as a learner and our form class and it was the most boring thing ever you go there to take the role you'd muck around for 10 minutes and then you'd be gone and we'd have prefix in the back and we'd never talk to them they were they they were as useful as they, they were just hopeless and you know it was just wasn't an enjoyable part of the day whereas if the, what you've described there to me could actually be yeah. the highlight the highlight of somebody's day which is fantastic yeah mm. well we usually try and do i personally like to encourage charity work so um and so do some of my colleagues so i know one of my colleagues um the class was really keen on animals and um the spca so they designed and created um toys from recycled materials for the for the dogs and cats that were there mm -hmm. um, and took them down and got to pet some pets and yeah that was really great so it's basically also trying to tap in onto what the students are keen on what they're passionate about and trying to get them to belong to their community a bit more i feel mm. um which is pretty cool mm. but but the other thing we do at accor in year nine is we also have tuakana from year 13 that come in so when you mentioned the prefects but um, rather than sitting at the back, they actually have to lead activities with the girls. So it's um, more about sort of fun games and getting to know you stuff and trying to break down that scary relationship between the year 13s and the year nines, you know? Yeah. Um, being year nine and looking up to year 13s might be quite a scary kind of thing, but having these girls come to our classes to sort of like make friends and to show that they're there to support them and you know and they also talk to the, each other outside of class too it's just a really great thing to show um the east sort of sisterly vibe that we have going on so mm. so that's really good too mm. another thing that east is quite well known for is the hubbing system in the junior school mm -hmm. do you want to can you tell us what that is and how it works sure um so hubbing is kind of a word a term that we've used to describe cross-curricular teaching and planning sessions um, we currently have um, teachers of year nine students grouped according to which class they teach. Um, so we have two classes in a hub and some of these teachers may teach both classes. So for example, um, my hub is the Corfi hub. I'm the science specialist for both of the classes in the Corfi hub. However, it might be that I only just teach one of the science classes next year um, and I have another science teacher come in. But, um, but yeah, currently I'm the, I'm the science teacher for both. Um, I work alongside um, Tikanga Iwi teachers, which are social studies teachers, uh, English, math, art, PE and health teachers as well to develop cross-curricular topics. Now we usually base these around the 21st century learning skills um, and also subject specific skills. Um, we used to try and run projects involving all the subjects at once, but it became quite thematic. And um, since then, we've realized that crossing only two or three subjects at a time actually allows for deeper learning and more meaningful contexts. Um, we try and include relevant cultural references, vocab, context, and activities where possible as well. Um, in term one, um, teachers normally try and focus on getting to know their students and each other, build relationships, develop great working habits, um, identify learning needs and interests of the students as well. Um, but we also start planning our projects for term two. So we don't usually run a major project until term two because that gives us some time to get to know the teachers in our group and the students, and then we can start with a project. Um, so we often also collect student voice in term one. Um, we use Google Forms for this. 
Um, and that helps to guide our topic development as well. And we can use that throughout the year, not just for the first project that we do. Um, but this means that everything we do is unique for each class that we have. So, <laughs> yeah, pretty specialised. Yeah, and so one thing that always uh, I, I think anybody heading down, uh, you know, a cross-curricular integrated approach struggle with is this, this idea of planning and where do you find planning time to come together and create these rich uh, learning experiences that cross-curriculums for, for their students. So where does your planning time fit in? Well, we have a meeting every Wednesday after our PL, so it goes from 3.30 to 4.30. Um, we decided that that was compulsory if you were in a hub because regular meetings meant that you can keep the momentum of the projects going and you can um, track the progress of everybody and also provide support if anyone's struggling or not sure what to do. Um, so as a hub leader, that's been really helpful. Um, last year, we only met, um, I think it was once, we were, we were putting our hub meetings into the, the normal meeting cycle. So it was cut, turning out to be once or twice a term, and that was nowhere near enough. So, um, so then we were having to meet outside of the meeting cycle, and we were just getting far too many meetings. So, having it scheduled as an extra meeting every week actually is really helpful. It doesn't mean we have to have the meeting every week. Um, it's just that it, it is expected if you need it, it's there. Um, but if the hub leader decides that actually we're all good for a week, we can actually just not have it for that week. Um, but it means that everyone's prepared to meet just in case. So yeah. And so that uh, that one hour meeting on the Wednesday, that's so every everyone involved in a hub. That that's not just your hub. That's everybody has to has that meeting time set aside. Yeah, every hub. Yeah. So there's four hubs at our school. Yeah. And um, so yeah. And how, you know. I, professional learning at the end of the day so you've got that 2.30 to 3.30 those sessions can be pretty challenging at times and then you roll into yeah. further meeting time how do, how do staff cope with that? Yeah. Well originally because um, we did the same sort of meeting schedule two years ago before we changed it and we did find it a long drag to be honest it was quite a lot of work and we were really tired so I was aware of that this year and so what I've done as a hub leader is I always provide food. So, so after we've had our PL, the first thing we do is we get some kai, and it's usually something simple like cheese and crackers or usually chocolate biscuits. <laughs> I ask people to bring their own drink up to the staff room or something like that because I haven't really got time to provide all the drinks, but I always make sure there's some food and we just start off by just connecting with each other really and um, just seeing where everyone's at before we begin. Um, we try and make sure we finish on time so that we don't, um, Put people out for childcare, or you know, it, it can just roll on forever. Otherwise, so we just try and make sure we stick to time. We we email an agenda out a few days in advance so people know what we're going to talk about. Um, I sometimes ask people to prep stuff before they come, just so that we're quicker. Um, yeah, so, and we also chat by email as well because the thing is, even though we're not in the same offices, it's really great to have those good relationships with each other, um, so that we can, you know. We can rely on each other and things like that. Mm. So it helps us get get through the meetings. <laughs> no, that and that's good. And um, my my co-host for the podcast, who we 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 catch up and we have a we do the intro together for this, and she she will listen to the podcast before it goes live. So she um she was the national lead for sport and education, which was cross curricular learning through a sporting context, and um they there was a 
a pilot project of you know eight schools and they were given $75,000 in funding. So um, she would advocate for this whole idea of, you know, real regular meeting slots for teams to come together and plan and really, uh, and, you know, you talked about connecting and just getting a feel for where everyone's at. That's really important too. Um, and, and all of the other things you mentioned, like, um, having the agenda and sticking to the time frame and all of those things that make going into those meetings, uh, you know, there's lots of certainties there. So people don't have to stress about, oh, when's it going to finish? What are we doing? They, they can come and contribute really well and stay on task. And, you know, if you can hit, you know, 20 of those throughout a year, that's that's going to be real powerful outcomes for your learners. So sure. it sounds like you're doing a, doing a really good job there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Do you think this whole de-siloing of learning areas in a junior school has improved, uh, you know, cross-curricular collaboration in a senior school? Um, well, not just yet. So <laughs> I think this is something <laughs> we're keen to work on as a school. This is something, this, for example, my science department, we've been talking about this a lot, um, but it hasn't impacted most of the teachers at school yet. We do have integrated studies, which is this great class for students who need extra focus and support with their learning in the senior school. Um, and there's one at year 11, year 12, and year 13. Um, they take up most of the uh, students' timetable and involve only two or three teachers um, taking the class in the same room for different standards from different curriculum areas. So that's as close as we've got so far, mm. um, which is basically different teachers teaching different standards. But they're not really cross-curricular standards at the moment. Yeah. It's just, um, you know, doing a teacher teaching outside of their specialty, yeah. basically. Yeah, and um, that's interesting. I, you know, I really would have thought that seeing the outcomes in those junior hubs, people would have gone, this is a really cool thing and this has real power in education and just then, you know, going and finding those real, um, you know, like informal relationships with other learning areas to just combine and collaborate. And it only needs to be small tasks, you know, one-off lessons or, you know, units of work that might loosely link in. Seeing relationships like that, I think there's lots of opportunity there. Definitely. I think we've had quite a lot of changes happening in our school over the past maybe eight years. So we haven't really had much time to do extra on top of what we're currently doing, I guess. Um, so, and we've been waiting as well on the NCEA changes to be finalised and shared with us so that we can actually know how to proceed effectively and efficiently so that we, um, you know, can really focus on developing those senior cross-curricular courses um, because that's something we are really keen on. Um, in biology, for example, we do have a health class, um, a health, biology health class, basically. Um, we do have some sort of earth and space science standards in there. We do have... Um, just biology standards in there. And it's all based around humans. So human adaptations um, to the environments and uh, fitness testing and things like that. Um, so we've kind of thematically developed our program, if you like, uh, around the students that are interested in that. So we've kind of done that sort of stuff throughout the school, but we haven't really got to cross-curricular yet. Um, but I think we will be doing that from next year onwards once NCEA is sort of laid out a bit clearly for us, I guess. Yeah, and, and I think uh, actually by the time this goes live, we would have had our first jumbo day looking, looking yes. at some of that. So we'll maybe have a, a better idea uh, this time next week. Yeah, for sure. You now one one interesting thing and I, you know, I've spent a lot of time up at East this year and beautiful school. The, the new main block is just amazing. And it wasn't until 
the morning the morning after I was appointed in this new role for next year that I actually had a proper walkthrough uh, mid mid learning like where classes were in full force and I I have to admit it was a real shock to the system um, seeing all of these open spaces seeing uh, multiple classes and uh, in these open areas and you know I, I didn't quite expect uh, to respond the way I did. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of excitement there and a lot of things that I'm keen to, to jump in with, but it, it was quite confronting. What, what do you think some of the challenges and opportunities you've seen so far working within that new modern learning environment are? Well, we have had quite a lot of challenges, but that also has led to quite a lot of opportunities in a way. So they're kind of quite linked. Um, te teaching in open spaces was quite scary to start with. There's a lot of students in a space. You can have two or maybe three classes in the same area. Um, but actually what that's allowed us to do is if we have, let's say, two year nine classes being taught by two different subject teachers, but they're in the same hub, um, we can actually teach them together and we can um, sort of share the teacher expertise across the two classes at the same time so that they can continue to work on their activity in a more holistic way. Um, so I'm actually currently doing that right now with a Tikanga Iwi teacher and we're just doing our first and second kind of lessons on this. So we're still beginning to do this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's challenging, but it's also really interesting. We're learning quite a lot. Um, I think the, the best thing is to just be brave and have a go. <laughs> um, the students can see us doing role modeling, which is really great. Role, role modeling is team, uh, doing teamwork. So that's really awesome. Mm. Um, because we're asking them a lot of the time to work in teams, so it's great for them to see that we can do it too. Yeah. Um, but of course, that you know means that we need time to plan this sort of stuff. So that's where Wednesdays can come in again if we're doing our yeah. hub work. Um, and also, um, if all classes in the same area are doing the same activities, things like talking and noise or movement of people around the space isn't such a big deal because everyone's doing the same stuff at the same time. It's only when you've got different classes doing different things um, or different year levels doing different things and not really connecting their learning, that would be when it's a bit of an issue. Yeah. Um, so we have also had some senior subject classes scheduled into the same shared spaces together. Um, so the idea behind this was to allow um, the same standards to be taught at the same time. So for example, I teach a biology class and I teach a biohealth class. They have some similar standards. We both do the cells exam at the end of the year. Um, and there's a couple of other biology teachers, one of which is in the same hub space as me, uh, teaching biology when I'm teaching biohealth. So ideally it would have been better to have the two biology classes, but the timetable didn't work that way. So we could have, if our, if our year planners for both uh, courses had aligned a bit better, we could have taught the, the cells topic at the same time. And then we could have, um, used our expertise to extend and support students um, across both classes. So that would have increased our differentiation, I guess. Um, but we haven't managed to do that this year. COVID kind of got in the way. And then we, um, our timetables had to change and we just didn't have things done at the same time throughout the year. So our standards are taught at different times. Which is a real yeah. shame, but hopefully yeah. next year we can work yeah. on that. You know, what I, I love about your response there was that you went 
Yeah, there's been heaps of challenges, but let's just talk about the opportunities and yeah. you just jump straight into opportunities. And that's, you know, that, that says a lot. Yeah. I think that says a lot about the school and it says a lot about you as a teacher that um, a real um, growth mindset and, you know, how can we get better and what can we do better and, and what are the opportunities that we see in all of this, um, you know, the craziness of a, of a modern learning environment. So that sounds really, really cool. You are also a within school lead teacher, and that's probably where I've worked with you um, most this year. So what are some of the positive things you've been able to achieve in that role? Well, when I first started um, teaching in this role, it was actually, I think it was last year, maybe, I can't remember now, I think it's been two years. And um, when I first started, there were a few teachers that were a bit scared of um, how it might be doing cross-curricular work, things like that. Um, I have been doing sort of hub work, um, not as the lead, but hub work for about four or five years. Um, when it, I was in one of the trial groups, the second year it started at school. So I was really keen to just jump in and give it a go and see what it was like. And, and also to find out what was going on in the other subjects, you know, I'm just interested to learn something new. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, that was really great. So I feel like in my role um, and having a little bit of experience, I guess, um, I have hopefully been able to reassure and support some teachers um, through their changes, um, from changing from sort of traditional silo teaching, as you said before, to cross-curricular teaching. And I hope that I've done that by sort of role modeling hubbing in action, because I'm actually doing it myself as well. Um, and also I'm helping them sort of plan their topics. We discuss, even though I don't know their subjects perhaps particularly well, um, talking through like how they do stuff um, and their processes of planning, that kind of ho hopefully helps them as well. Um, I've worked with some amazing teachers um, who are really creative and inventive and I, I hope that I've helped them to share their best practice with others as well um, because sometimes they might be a little shy to share or they just don't have the opportunity to share so hopefully um, the hub group here is a forum for that to happen um, but yeah I just hope that I, I've basically encouraged people to take action on their ideas and give things mm. a go um, at the moment, I'm working on consolidating all the amazing projects that we've had so far, not just in my hub, but across the hubs um, over the years. And I'm hoping to sort of um, consolidate them and their resources um, in sort of like a shared drive folder so that beginner teachers and new teachers in any subject could have a look and see what sort of projects were successful. And then they've got a starting point to begin from. Um, and I'm hoping as well that perhaps even though we do um, design our topics for the students in front of us, perhaps we can just tweak an old topic a little bit, which might actually help reduce our workload. Workload and, and, and also increase sustainability when you have that kind of that foundation yeah. there. And, you know, you, you, you talk a lot about role modelling and I really like that. And I think that says a lot for for you as as uh, sitting in that real transformational leader um, domain where there's a, a shared vision that you can portray really clearly and concisely but then role model and set goals with people to help them you know kind of uh, push that walker forward and it sounds like you're doing that really well and um, you know that, that's that's honestly it is a it is something that a lot of people struggle with in terms of that whole idea of change being able to um, support others and by role modeling you know that's that's clearly the way to do it so um, big pat on big pat on the back for that hey before we get to the last question is there anything I might have missed that you want to mention or is there anything you want to ask me well I just wanted to say that as I mentioned earlier my school's been working on hubbing for a number of years now and it's always evolving and improving so it hasn't stayed the same any year that I've done it 
Um, the only way we could have gotten to where we are now is by having a policy across the school that if you try something new and it works, great. But if it doesn't, as long as you've learned something from it, it was worth doing. And trying something and failing is encouraged at our school because if you were too afraid to try, you might never have succeeded. So um, if you always keep the students at the heart of what you do, you can't go too far wrong. So yeah, I just I want to encourage people out there if they want to try hubbing in their school um, to get everyone sort of um, to support each other and, and through the good times and the bad. So if there's anything that isn't going quite so well, just um, be really encouraging and supportive and um, congratulate people for being brave and giving things a go. Mm, that's really important because people are scared of failure and they are reluctant to try new things for fear of looking incompetent or making mistakes. And but that, that's where the, that's where I think that's where the joy comes from. You know, discovering new things and 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 you know learning things that you didn't know beforehand and how that impacts your your perceptions of things. And I think, you know, I I was fortunate enough to have a, a sit down with Gail, your principal, before. Um, I went through this process um, applying for this job and what you described just then around failure and the need to put yourself out there and take risks and, and that was the feeling I got from her and I think when uh, when you have a leader at the top who is um, who walks walks the walk and is prepared to be up there and failing forward with everybody else and trying new things and taking that risk um, and it's just gonna you know trickle down through the staff and into the students and when the students can fail forward and are prepared to do that, then um, we're going to create some real um, innovative and, and creative learners, which is, I think, what society needs. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Gail's a great um, role model as well for us all. Um, she was actually standing next to me in our Tereo uh, PL the other day. We were both learning some new words together, which was fantastic. So she's, she's really great. Yeah, it's good to have Gail. Yeah. <laughs> so last question. If you could change one thing about how you managed your students during lockdown this year, what would that be and why? Well, the main thing that I think that we've discovered is that the students actually can be trusted to do lo more long-term projects themselves rather than us trying to give them daily or weekly tasks to do to keep them busy um, during lockdown. So <laughs> the students said to us there was too many emails, too many tasks, they couldn't keep up, it was a bit stressed. Um, they were trying to manage their time, um, but it was a bit of an influx. So. Um, most of the students, though, however, proved that they were really responsible and were able to manage their time pretty well, um, even with all the emails. So um, I think that allowing them to do that more would be great. And so that's why I'm really pro Flexi Fridays um, and also passion projects. I think I'd love to see that as well, as I said before. So I'm hoping that um, if we have to go into lockdown again, I might like to just set passion projects for my, for my class. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're talking lots of good things like a high trust model and more mm. focus on learner agency and giving them, you know, opportunity to be accountable for their learning. And those are all really good things, amazing things that is that are going to support sure. them when they get out in the real world. So um, that's right. <laughs> hey, um, it's, you know, it's been a long year and you've given up a Thursday night to, to sit down and have a chat with me about all the cool things you're doing. I have to admit, it's been really helpful and you've, um, you've really helped me unpack a lot of the things that I'm going to be jumping into here first next year. So I really do appreciate that. And, you know, it's 
It's really cool hearing um, your passion come through and uh, a lot of what we discussed tonight. And um, I, I knew in the time I've worked with you within our <laughs> kahoyako that um, you are yeah. a real passionate learner, but hearing it um, oh. firsthand from you tonight, it's, it's really nice to hear. So um, oh, well, thank, thank you, you for inviting me. No, <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you for, for giving up your Thursday night. And I really do appreciate that. And I'm looking forward to working a bit closer with you next year. No problem at all. Thanks so much, Carl, for having me. I've really enjoyed it. And I'm really excited to see what where to next for East. It's going to be great. Excellent. Thanks, George. Thank you. Bye.